You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host, Tyler. And guys, I'm sitting here on October 5th recording an Auburn preview episode, and it still just doesn't feel right. It's weird, man, and to be perfectly honest, I do not like it. This game is supposed to be played in November. It's always been played November as long as I can remember. I'm sure way back when at some point it wasn't played November, but in my lifetime, it's always been November. I'm supposed to walk through that trash pit of a city with jeans, a coat, and a beanie on wishing I was in Athens. Now, this weekend, I'll still be wishing I was in Athens or really anywhere other than that nowhere town, but I shouldn't be doing it in shorts and a polo. I don't know if I'm ever going to get used to that with this game, but at the end of the day, no one cares what I think and they really shouldn't. So alas, here we are with a mid-season edition, a mid-season edition, just weird saying it, but a mid-season edition of the Deep South's oldest rivalry, and we've got a full preview of that game, all glory UGA style, in just a minute, but first, if you have Athens on your mind, if you're planning on making a trip to the Classic City for any reason, whether it's football-related, visiting your kids for the weekend, coming up for a concert, just hanging out with old friends, whatever the reason might be, don't bother with the dirty, overpriced hotels. Instead, book the normal town cottage on Airbnb for a convenient in-town location while you enjoy everything the Classic City has to offer. I know the area very well, and I can assure you guys, you will absolutely love your stay at the normal town cottage. It's the perfect location with the perfect host who goes above and beyond to make your stay the absolute best day you've ever had anywhere. The Normal Town Cottage also offers free parking on a tree-lined in-town neighborhood street. It's quiet, it's convenient, it's safe, it's clean. It's just the perfect place to stay in Athens, hands down better than any hotel you can find downtown. And don't take my word for it, guys. Seriously, check out all the reviews on Airbnb. I don't think there's less than a five-star review anywhere on Airbnb. So don't take my word for it. Take the word of those people who have actually stayed there. And I think you'll get an idea of why it is the absolute best place to stay 
for any trip that you make to the Classic City. So book now and secure your trip to the Classic City. Okay, it is preview time, guys. You know this season we've been doing this countdown style where I'm counting down from five all the way to one, starting with five players that you need to know, five impact players on the Auburn football team. Then we'll go over four stats that matter, three matchups to watch in the game, two schemes, and one key to the game. And let's start with the five players you need to know. And I will start by giving the same disclaimer that I give you each and every week on these preview episodes. There are obviously more than five players to know on this Auburn football team. I'm going to give you guys five impact players that I think you really need to pay attention to and need to be aware of heading into this matchup. And we're going to start with Bo Nix. All right. Everybody knows Bo Nix. He's been around for a while now. He's now a junior, third-year starter. Almost lost his starting job. Looks like he was able to fight back and regain that job with the the good performance. I'll give him credit. It was a good road performance. Not an elite road performance, but a good road performance by Bo Nix. So it looks like he has that starting job secured once again. But if you've listened to this show for a while, you know my thoughts on him. For those of you who are new to the podcast, you've never heard me talk about Bo Nix. Let's just suffice it to say that I do not believe he is very good at all at playing quarterback in the traditional format where the quarterback is required to be a pocket passer, a drop back kind of guy. Bo Nix cannot do that consistently. It's simply not in him. Through two and a half years now, he has shown no indication that he can be that kind of quarterback. He has highly erratic accuracy. He often just sees and feels imaginary pressure that's just not there. He leaves a clean pocket way, way, way too fast. He misses reads. Honestly, sometimes very, very easy reads. He's indecisive with the football. He struggles to get off the first read at times. But despite his deficiencies as a drop back passer, as a pocket passer, I got to give the guy credit. He is one hell of an athlete. He is an elite backyard football player. And backyard Bo Nix was on full display last week in Baton Rouge. If you guys saw the game, you know exactly what I'm talking about. He was running around like a crazy person. I honestly, the first couple of times, like, what are you doing? You're just being Bo Nix game. You're terrible. And then it's like, oh wait, it actually worked. That's where he excels. When he's out there escaping the pocket, just trying to extend the play, make things happen. That's where he's at his best, outside the pocket, extending plays, putting pressure on defenses with his legs. His legs are his greatest asset, which is what I've said about Bo Nix for years now. And it baffled me how Gus Malzahn simply did not make better use of his legs. Because if you think back to Gus Malzahn's best offenses, traditionally it was when he had a quarterback that was a dual threat option, a guy that was absolutely a threat with his legs. Honestly, more of a threat with his legs than his arms. You're looking at guys, obviously like Cam Newton, but even guys like Nick Marshall as well. That is when Gus Malzahn's offenses were churning out their highest level of production. And I thought Bo Nix could be that kind of guy. I mean, that's kind of what he was in high school. And I just don't think they really activated his legs in ways that we've seen Gus Malzahn do in the past with other quarterbacks whose best asset was their ability to run the football. 
It was always just weird to me. It was like they were trying to force him into being something he wasn't as a pocket passer when Gus Malzahn had never really been able to coach a pocket passer in his life. I guess you can say Jarrett Stidham, but Stidham was okay. He never had an elite offense with a pocket passer. His elite offenses were with guys, again, like Cam Newton and Nick Marshall that posed so many issues for defenses with their legs. And they just seemed like a match made in heaven when he landed Bo Nix. Obviously, that was always going to happen as a legacy recruit. It seemed like a match made in heaven and a perfect fit for that style of offense but he didn't utilize him in that way. And it just never quite clicked with me. I can never quite wrap my head around it. And ultimately, it ended up getting Gus Malzahn fired. I think if they used Bo Nix and the way you use other quarterbacks with similar skill sets in the past, he might still be on the planes. He might still have that Auburn head coaching job. You might still see him out there on the sidelines, Jordan Hare, sporting the sweater vest. Now, maybe that's because Bo Nix and his dad didn't want him to take those kind of hits and didn't want him to be that kind of quarterback, and they wanted him to learn how to be more of a, a pro-style pocket passer for his NFL future. If I mean, because I'm sure they think he has one. I'm very skeptical myself, but I'm sure they think he has one. All these five-star guys think that's where they're going. And maybe that's the reason why. Maybe that's that was part of the deal. Hey, we're going to come to Auburn, but we don't want Bo to be Nick Marshall or Cam Newton. We want him to be more than that. But again, it was just a weird fit because if that's the case with Bo Nix and his dad, then why'd you go to Auburn? I know obviously you're a legacy and you're always going to go to Auburn, but Gus Malzahn has no track record of, of developing NFL pocket passer quarterbacks. He just simply doesn't have that track record at all. So again, to sum that up, suffice it to say that Bo Nix is not a pocket passer. And as far as I'm concerned, he will probably never be anything more than adequate in that role. Adequate at best, to be honest. And a big part of that is he's never had to, like at the high school level, he never really had to do it. He just kind of out-athleted people. And in college, when they tried to make him do it the first couple years of, of his career, he's just never really shown an ability to do it with any level of consistency. But it looks like Auburn figured that out a little bit against LSU. Early this season, with the little baby seals they were playing in the first couple of weeks, he was doing fine as a drop-back passer. You can do that against Alabama State. You can do it against Akron, who might be the worst team in the FBS. One of the worst teams, at the very least, in the FBS. That's fine. But against Penn State in the row, no, can't get it done. Against Georgia State, no, can't get it done. Against LSU, he wasn't going to get it done that way. So if you looked at that LSU game, they used Bo Nix differently in that game than they had in the previous games leading into that one. And some of that was off-the-cuff improvisation. Like, you didn't coach him to, like, run around for a quarter mile and finally just throw the ball up in the air and it happens to, to work out for a big play for a touchdown. You didn't coach up that, right? That's kind of instinctive. That wasn't a dialed-up play. But there were plenty of times where you saw Mike Bobo, their offensive coordinator, moving him out of the pocket more and giving him more options, giving him the ability to get on the edge like that and make things happen with his legs. And this year, I will say that Nix has done a really good job of protecting the football. That's something. And he had a streak early in his career, maybe at some point last year, where it was like a little over 200 passes in a row without throwing interception. But still, at the end of the year, he ended up throwing, I think, six picks last year. I think he threw seven, no, he threw seven last year, six as a freshman. So he's done 13 picks in his career, 34 touchdowns to 13 picks as a touchdown-interception ratio throughout two and a half seasons. But this year, he's done a really good job protecting the football. He has not thrown an interception yet to this point in the season. I think it's now like 250 passes in a row, something around there without throwing an interception. So he's done a really good job there. But his completion percentage, guys, this is what I've always said about Bo Nix. He is highly erratic and highly inefficient as a passer. He has never completed above 60% of his passes 
in his career, guys. As a freshman, 57.6%. Last year, 59.9%. So far this year, 58.5% of his passes have been completed. This guy is a highly, highly, highly inefficient passer. It's almost like boomer bust. Yes, he can make some of those wow plays like you saw against LSU. It works out sometimes like, wow, backyard bow, man, what an incredible play. Is Bo Nix actually good? Maybe he's turned the corner. But then you look at the rest of the stats and you're like, no, I mean, that was a great play, but he hasn't been doing that consistently down in and down out. He's never done that in his career. And yeah, against LSU, he's in a lot of credit for playing well in that game. And I guess, yeah, he played better than he played against Penn State, better than he played against Georgia State. Actually, I don't, honestly, I'm not sure he played better than he did against Penn State. I mean, he was 23 or 44. That's 52% completion percentage. Threw for 255. But again, that's on 44 attempts. That's only 5.8 yards per pass attempt. And yeah, they won the football game, which is the first time Auburn had beaten LSU in Baton Rouge since 1999. And the first time this century, as Charlie pointed out on the pick show last week. And yeah, he made a couple of really spectacular plays, just like kind of like wow plays, running around with his legs, making things happen, extending plays, and just doing what Bo Nix has the ability to do with his athleticism. But if you looked at it down after down throughout the game, he wasn't spectacular. Bo Nix is never spectacular, not for a full game, not against quality opponents like you play in the SEC. Yeah, sure, maybe against Alabama State, maybe against Akron, 20-22 against Akron. That's an awesome day. But again, Akron is literally the worst team in the FBS. Alabama State, I mean, he's only actually only completed 53% of his passes against Alabama State. So Bo Nix has those wow plays in him. He has those plays that make you sit up and take take notice. Your eyes kind of bulge out of your head. But then he has a bunch of plays to leave your head shaking. Like, dude, how did you miss that throw? How did you not see this read? What are you doing? Why are you leaving the pocket when there's no pressure? But as I will lay out when we get to our four stats that matter, Bo Nix is a much different quarterback at home than he is on the road traditionally. We'll get to that in a little bit here. So Bo Nix is certainly the first player to know here. For better or worse, you got to start with Bo Nix. Now we're going to stick with the offense here. And it's going to be a two-for-one special here because they kind of have a two-headed monster at running back right now. And we're going to talk about Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter. I told you guys coming to the season, and I made no secret about this, that I thought Tank Bigsby was as good of a running back as there was in the country coming into this 2021 season. I still think he is an elite running back. But saying that, it might surprise you that right now, Tank Bigsby is not even the leading rusher on his own team. I know that surprised me at this point in the season. It's actually a freshman named Jarquez Hunter, a freshman out of Mississippi. He wasn't really a super highly rated recruit coming out of high school. He was a three-star prospect, if I remember correctly, like in the 700 range. But he's come into Auburn as a true freshman, ready to play. And he is making plays, man. I mean, and against good teams as well. That's surprising to me. I thought Tank Bixby would be clearly like their workhorse running back this season with Mike Bobo. And it hasn't really worked out that way. Right now, Jarquez Hunter has 447 yards rushing to Bigsby's 430. So they're similar in total yardage. But what's more impressive to me is that Hunter has done it on only 42 carries to Bigsby's 74. So that comes out to 10.6 yards per carry for Hunter compared to 5.8 for Tank Bigsby. 5.8 yards per rush is really, really good. Tank is still every bit as good as I told you guys he was and as I thought he was coming in this year. I just did not see Jarquez Hunter coming. I don't know if anyone did. He has been lights out and been explosive and a home run threat for them. Now, neither one of those guys have been used as a receiver much this season. They have 10 catches combined for 71 yards combined, 
But I think both of those guys have the ability to be effective receivers out of the backfield. They just haven't been used in that role to this point in the season in Mike Bobo's offense. We saw Tank do it quite a bit last year. Now, when looking at those two, Tank Bigsby and Jarek West Hunter, I still think Bigsby has the higher ceiling. I think he's more explosive, but they're both very good backs that fit well with Mike Bobo's system because you guys know, and we know Bobo well. Remember, run the damn ball, Bobo, right? At his core, Bobo wants to run the football right at you with a physical ground game. I mean, heck, they even run some I-formation stuff at times. And you just don't see anyone outside of maybe Stanford run that kind of stuff. So that's what Bobo really wants to do. And I think both are good fits for what Bobo likes to do offensively. And I think both of them also have the ability to be those physical backs along with home run ability. So those are two guys you got to watch for because they're going to get the ball early and often in this game. The next player to know, now this is a name that if we were trying to do this preview before the season he would not have been on this list. He wouldn't have even been on my radar. Honestly, I didn't even know who the guy was coming this season. I'm gonna be perfectly honest with you. But John Samuel Shanker has been somewhat of a revelation for Auburn at the tight end position. His name might sound like he's off of an episode of like Outer Banks, John Samuel Shanker, but he's actually their leading receiver. He is leading them in receptions and in receiving yards. He's got 18 catches for 236 yards. He had a big game against LSU, five catches for 102 yards. They didn't really have much of an answer for him when they went to him. But it's weird. There's a reason why he was not on my radar coming this season. There's a reason why I wouldn't even been able to identify him if you just said, hey, Tyler, John Samuel Shanker. I'd have been like, who, huh? Outer Banks, what? He only had 15 catches for 158 yards combined through his first three years on the Plains. But he has found a home in Mike Bobo's system as a tight end, H-back kind of guy. That's his role. And he's really kind of become a security blanket for Bo Nix. And he gave LSU's linebackers fits last week. They really could not cover him. They didn't have an answer for him. He seemed to always be open whenever Bo Nix needed him. He's 6'4", 250, and he's just as likely to block inline as he is to run a route. He's actually a very good inline blocker which I think is what makes him so difficult to defend because when you have guys like that, guys like we have, like Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers, you kind of have to match that with heavier run personnel because they can run the football on you with a guy like that, especially with how Bobo likes to structure his offenses. And then you have a guy like Shanker that can go out and actually run some routes and, and hurt you when you have that heavier personnel on the field. So he, he's just a difficult matchup for teams. I think that we have the personnel that can match up with him better than LSU, better than Georgia State, better than Penn State even. But he's a guy that has absolutely been a playmaker for them. Again, leading the team in receptions and receiving yards. And uh, I don't know if anyone, I don't know, even if any Auburn fan saw that coming heading into this 2021 season. But you got to know where he is on the offensive side of the ball at all times because he is he's been Bo Nix's go-to guy. All right, so we started off with these offensive players, but let's wrap things up with two players on the defensive side of the ball. And the first player on their on their defense I'm going to talk about is a guy named Derek Hall. He's an edge rusher for them. He's leading the team in sacks. He's 6'3", 251. He's a very interesting player when you watch them play. He is their best pass rusher. He is. Like, hands down, he's their best pass rusher. Honestly, he's their only legitimate pass rusher on that front, if you ask me. But at times, they kind of use him like we used Lorenzo Carter back in 2017, even though he isn't, in my estimation, nearly as athletic as Lorenzo is. He will line up. They will line up Hall on the edge like of, of, of a traditional even four-man front, and he'll rush the passer from that position with his hand in the dirt. He'll do that at times. 
but he's just as likely to stand up and be playing in space and defending the flat. Even against LSU, they even had him kind of like playing some inside linebacker because Owen Papo didn't play in that game. So he was kind of off the ball at times, kind of floating around, kind of an amoeba type defense where it was hard for LSU to know where he was going to be. So clearly they think a lot of him. They think he's their most disruptive player. And I, and I tend to agree with that when you watch him play. So they're trying to move him around and make it difficult for the offense to game plan a way to stop him because you're not going to know where he's going to be and exactly how he's going to be aligned from down to down. That does make it tough to deal with a guy like that who has a little bit of versatility. And he does move well enough to have that versatility to give them opportunities to do that with him. But I would still argue, I do not think he's an elite athlete from that position. I think he lumbers a little too much. I think he's a little too stiff. He moves well enough to where, yeah, he can cover in the flat. He can move around. He can stand up and play a little bit in space. But he's not a, he's certainly not comfortable out there playing in space. He hustles, he has a high motor, but even though they kind of use him at times, like we use Lorenzo Carter back in 2017, and at times how we kind of use Adam Anderson, he is, trust me, not that kind of athlete. A good athlete to where he can function out there and do those things, but not at near as high of a level as some of the guys that we've done that with in the past couple of years. But you got to know where he is. He's just, he is a disruptive player. He's their best pass rusher. They'll move him around, different alignments, different positions, kind of do different things with him. It makes it a tough task to, to game plan and prepare for stopping a guy like that. And then the final player to know is inside linebacker, Zacoby McClain. Now you might be surprised that I did not include Owen Papo on this list. People talk about Papo a lot. But I've been saying for a couple of years now, I think Zacoby McLean is the better linebacker, and I think he has been for a couple of years. Pepo was a five-star, so he got that five-star love. He had the hype coming out of high school, and they were all pumped up about him. And I even had questions about him coming out of high school. I told you guys back when he came out, and Kobe Dean came out. They came out in the same year. Auburn people were, were pounding their chest. Oh, we took Owen Papo from the state of Georgia. We, we, we cannot recruit you. I'm like, nah, man, we're good. We got Kobe Dean. Like, Kobe's a better player. And I think it's proved to be the case so far through their careers. Now, Pepo hasn't been a bust. He's been a good player for them. He's been a productive player for them. But I just don't think he's as good as Jacoby McLean. He's not as productive as Jacoby McLean. And Papo might not even play in this game. He did not play against LSU. Right now, they're saying it's a game-time decision. If I had to put money on it, I think he's going to do everything possible to get back for this game. Obviously, uh, he played high school football at Grayson here in the state of Georgia. So this game's going to mean a little something to him. So I imagine he's going to do everything he can to get back. Maybe he set out last week in hopes of being back for the Georgia game. I don't know. It's tough to know those things. We, we, know, we know all about game time decisions, right, with JT Daniels. We'll see how that goes. I would lean towards him probably playing without really knowing too much about how his injury is progressing. But when you say game time decision, you think about who they're playing, the magnitude of this game. It makes sense he's probably going to try to give it a go. But McLean, guys, is the one to watch here. He is athletic. He's I mean, maybe not quite as explosive an athlete as Owen Papo, but certainly not that far off. Uh, he's also very similar in his size and his frame to Papo. I think they're both a little undersized. Papo's grown. He's he's certainly gained a little bit of weight. He's gotten into into the college level and, and gotten a little bit further into his career. But the thing I like about McLean is he's just far more instinctive at that position. And really, the fact is, he's just been more productive than Papo. He just has been. But one thing about both of them whether you're talking about McLean or Papo, as athletic as they are, and they are highly athletic inside linebackers, they struggle when the ball is run right at them. Neither one of those guys disengage well. They get caught up in traffic. I would say Papo more so than McLean, certainly. I mean, really, I don't think that's in question if you watch him play. But McLean is not immune to that either. I think he does a better job of disengaging, getting off blockers, and not getting caught up in traffic, and being a little more instinctive. 
but I wouldn't say he does that at a particularly high level. Running sideline to sideline, playing in space, making plays, that's what McLean does really well. It's also what Papo does really well. And so if I'm attacking them, we'll get to this a little bit later on when we talk about our scheme stuff, I would run right at them. I think that's where they're that's where they're least comfortable. And that's where they struggle the most. If they're out there playing in space, that's where they really want to be. And I don't think we want to play in their hands in that regard. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, guys, so those were our five players to know. Let's move into our next segment, which is four stats that matter. And we're going to start with Bo Nix again. I kind of teased this a little bit. We've already kind of broke down Bo Nix's game. But when you're talking about Bo Nix, and you've heard me say this plenty of times on this show, you, I'm sure you've heard people out there in other outlets say it as well, but it really bears mentioning. So I'm going to include it on this, even though we've talked about it before. It's just so stark. It's crazy to me. Bo Nix's home splits are crazy. He is just a different quarterback at home than he is on the road or at a neutral site. So in road games and in neutral sites, he has now, I guess now after the LSU game, he's got 14 touchdowns to 12 interceptions, 54% completion percentage, 5.5 yards per attempt at home, 20 touchdowns to one interception, 67% completion percentage, 8.5 yards per attempt. Again, clearly he is a totally different quarterback inside the friendly confines of Jordan Hare. And after that game against LSU, even though I don't think he was as great as everyone's making him out to be, it was a big win for them. It was an emotional win for him because he was able to kind of regain control of that starting quarterback job. So I think he is feeling the momentum right now. They're feeling momentum. He's got some juice. He's got some energy. And then you come home and you're playing the number two team in the country at 3.30 on CBS. Your crowd's going to be going crazy. I'm fully expecting us to see the best version of Bo Nix. I don't know if the best version of Bo Nix is good enough to beat us. I really don't think that it is. But I'm expecting us to see his best version. If you look at how well he performs at home traditionally throughout his career, and you consider the context of coming off that big win at LSU, now there might be a situation where it's kind of a letdown, where he put so much emotion into that game that he comes down, comes back home, and there's a little bit of a, of a letdown. He can't get up again for this game. But I have a hard time believing he's not going to be up for this game when you think about, again, the magnitude of this game. But at home, Bo Nix is just different. He's a different kind of guy, as has been well documented. Now, this next stat to know might be something that you're not as familiar with. I know this is going to sound kind of weird because Auburn isn't known as some 
offensive powerhouse. No one's really talking about them in that way this season because they're really not an offensive powerhouse. But still, this Auburn offense statistically is going to be the best offense that we have faced to this point. Now, make sure you hear me correctly. I'm not sitting here saying that Auburn is a dynamic offense. All I'm saying is statistically, they are the best, most productive offense that we have faced to this point. Now, obviously, there's context there. You got to look at the early season schedule. Yes, they played two powder puff baby seals in the first two weeks of the season with Akron and Alabama State. So certainly some of those numbers were inflated. But also, if you isolate their numbers against power five opponents, obviously they played Penn State and they played LSU as their two power five opponents, they are still the most productive offense statistically that we have faced to this point, even if it's just first power five opponents. Right now, overall, against all opponents through the first five games, they are 17th nationally, averaging 478 yards a game. Against non-five, non-power five teams, they're averaging 516 yards a game. Against power five teams, as you might imagine, those numbers come down a bit, about 100 yards. They're averaging 410 yards a game versus power five teams. They're 13th in the country in rushing offense at 238 yards a game. That's clearly what they want to do best. That is their identity. And uh, they're, But they're still good, decent enough throwing the football. 57th nationally in passing offense at 240 yards a game. They're very balanced which is kind of a a hallmark of Mike Bobo's offenses. We know that from from years past. And don't get me wrong, Arkansas had a very, very strong rushing attack. They were top 10 nationally, eighth nationally coming into last week. And we, uh, we certainly handled that. But if you look at it in totality as a total offense, Auburn has been more productive than even Arkansas was. So this is the best offense that we have faced to this point. And there have been questions about the Georgia defense. How good is Georgia's defense really? Have they actually played anybody? Clemson's offense is terrible, which, I mean, obviously Clemson's offense is struggling in a big way. It's not the same kind of Clemson offense that we've seen in past years. Then we play UAB, who is a good defensive team and a solid, okay offensive team. They're a very good group of five team, but they're not a dynamic offensive team. Vanderbilt is, God, they're Vanderbilt. And then obviously Arkansas was, they're a one-dimensional team. Everything is built off the run game. And if they can, cannot get the run game going, they cannot beat you with their with their throwing game. And that's exactly how it played out last week. Auburn's a little bit different. Bo Nix is not great. He's not, as I've made clear. I mean, my, my thoughts on him very clear here. But they're more balanced than anyone that we play at this point. Again, more productive. Doesn't mean they're elite. Doesn't mean they're dynamic offensively. It just means they're the most productive, statistically, offense that we have faced to this point. And it's going to be our first hostile environment. So that's going to factor in as well. I mean, I know we played at Vanderbilt, but that's certainly not a hostile environment. And let's carry this on with the offense here. So it's the best offense that we face statistically. But the third stat that matters that I have here for you today is that this has actually been a surprisingly explosive offense. And maybe I shouldn't be surprised by that, but I just didn't think coming to the season that Auburn would be where they are through almost the first half of the season, I guess one game short of half of a regular season. I did not think that they would be where they are in terms of explosive plays offensively. Right now, they are number one in the SEC in plays of 20 or more yards. They've got 29 plays in the year of 20 or more yards. They're third in the league in plays of 30 plus yards. And again, they're pretty balanced. Of those 20 plays of of those 29 plays of 20 or more yards they've gained this season, 14 of them have been runs, 15 have been passes. It's a very balanced offense. Again, Mike Bobo calling card. But what's also surprising to me, because Arkansas, we talked about last week how Arkansas is 
explosive offense. That's kind of what they've done this season to beat Texas and Texas A&M is they've hit explosive plays. Arkansas has not been an efficient offense. They were very, very low in the SEC in in third down conversions. But they were very high up there in terms of big playability. Auburn's a little different. They're really high up there in big playability, but they're also 11 nationally in third down conversions. They're completing 51% of their third down conversions. Now, I just got done telling you earlier in the episode that Bo Nix is inefficient. He is. He himself is inefficient. What makes Auburn an efficient offense and has them inside the top 15 nationally in third down conversions is their ability to run the football. They stay ahead of the chains. They don't consistently get in third long situations because, number one, nobody really operates well consistently in in those situations. Bo Nix, that's not what he's made to do. And Mike Bobo, again, traditionally, wants to run the football, stay in the chains, be able to convert first downs on third down situations and keep the ball moving, keep the ball out of the opponent's hands. That's what they want to do. And they've been really good at it. So they've hit big plays and they've been efficient converting third downs. Now, will they be able to do that with the same level of success against us? Because I don't know, because I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball like they've been able to run the football against other teams to this point in the season. Now, they're probably going to hit a couple plays on the ground because they do have two really, really good running backs especially if they start to utilize Bo Nix's legs like they were utilizing him against LSU. That will certainly make it even more difficult to handle their running game and make their backs even more dangerous. But I, I don't expect them to have the same amount of success running the football against us and our defensive front as they've had against other teams. So I don't expect them to be completing or converting 51 plus percent of their third down conversion. If they do, we're going to have a hard time winning this football game. But coming into this game, they've been explosive and they've been efficient. And the final stat that matters here, let's talk about the defense a little bit. Talk plenty about the offense. Let's talk about their defensive numbers. If you look at it statistically, they have outstanding rush defense numbers. Statistically, they are as good as anyone not named Georgia. They're second in the SEC right now and eighth nationally, only giving up 86 rush yards a game. So you look at that and you're like, wow. This is going to be a tough matchup. How are we going to be able to run the football against them? we got Stetson Bennett. we have a bunch of young receivers. I mean, are we going to be able to move the football? And, and maybe we will have trouble. I'm not going to completely discount that. I mean, I think there's a, a, a chance that we do have a little bit of trouble moving the football on a consistent basis in this game, in, in that environment, in that hostile road environment there with Stetson Bennett at quarterback. But, but, as good as those rush defense numbers are for Auburn right now, there's context. You guys know I love my context. If you just look at bare stats... You can twist them and turn them and make them mean a lot of things, okay? But you've got to add the context there. So yes, second in the SEC, eighth nationally, only giving up 86 rush yards a game. But let's look at who they have done that against. LSU, guys, is 128 nationally out of 130 teams, mind you, in rushing offense. LSU's as bad as it gets running the football in the country. They just can't do it. If you watched the game last week against Auburn, you saw that. If they could run the football, like even just had mild levels of success running the football, even tried to run the football, they would have won that game, but they simply could not do it. Akron, who I've already told you, is one of the, if not the worst teams in the entire FBS. They are 109th nationally in rushing offense. Penn State is having a nice season. They don't run the football well, guys. They're 93rd nationally right now in rushing offense. Alabama State's an FCS opponent. So there's context there. Yes, the numbers look really good, but who have they done that against? People want to say that we haven't played anyone with a good offense and that our defensive stats are inflated. And maybe you can argue that. I don't think that's a crazy thing to argue. I still think that if you just watch us play, we're so dominant that you can say, yeah, you know what, even though the teams they have played offensively aren't necessarily great, 
Georgia's still really, really, really good on defense. But I think you can say the same exact thing about Auburn in terms of them not really playing anyone. And I think you can say with a lot more veracity, a lot more truth behind that. Because I mean, guys, we just played a top 10 rush offense last week and we held them to 75 yards rushing, about 200 yards or so below their season average. So even though Arkansas, I wouldn't say it has an elite offense, they were an elite rushing offense coming to that game. And I still think they're a really, really good rushing offense. And we flat out stopped them. Auburn hasn't played anyone close to as good as Arkansas is running the football right now. But if you look at their defensive numbers, if you look at those rush defense numbers, you would think, wow, they're they're just as good as George is. They're right up there. And of course, Auburn fans are going to argue that. But look at the context. Dig just a little bit deeper there. Okay, let's go ahead and transition into our next segment, which is three matchups to watch. The first one I'm going to highlight here. Now, he's a guy, Smoke Monday. I'm sure you've heard that name. He's another guy like Bo Nix who's been around the Plains for a long time. I was considering it. I gave it a lot of thought at having him inside those five players. No, having him on that list. But in the day, I just don't think he's all that good. I know he's played a lot of football for them. He's a veteran, which there's certainly something to say for that. And he's good to very good in run support. But he's a box safety, guys, and he's a liability in coverage. According to Pro Football Focus, he's got a 68 or below grade in coverage in three of his five games this season. Georgia State, he was good, 88 against Georgia State. But after what we did to Arkansas and with Darnell Washington back, I imagine that we're going to spend a lot of time in 12 personnel, which leads me to imagine that Smoke Monday will spend a lot of time in the box where he will be matched up on Darnell and Brock Bowers in coverage. If that is the case, like I expect it to be, advantage dogs. So that's the first matchup to watch here. Smoke Monday versus Brock Bowers and or Darnell Washington. I think those guys will be matched up with Monday quite a bit in this game. And I think that they are going to have the advantage in that matchup and are going to be able to generate some big plays if indeed they try to cover those guys, Washington and Bowers, especially Bowers right now, one-on-one with Smoke Monday. I think that's a big time advantage for us right now. The second matchup to watch is Brodarius Ham and Austin Troxel. Those are the two tackles for Auburn versus our edge rushers. More so Ham, but I would also throw Troxel in here as well. He's better than Ham, but Troxel isn't elite either. But Ham is a liability out there at right tackle, guys. He really is. I mean, if you watch him play, I've watched multiple games. Actually, I've watched every single game they played except for Alabama State because I couldn't really find that one. But I've got all the other ones recorded. I've watched every single one of them. And Brodarius Ham, it's a great name, Brodarius Ham, but he doesn't got it, man. He's sub 65 in his pass blocking grade the, each of the last three games. If you watch him play, and if you've seen him play, you know exactly what I'm talking about. His feet are stuck in concrete. He's stiff. He does not bend well. He's got those T-Rex arms. He doesn't have ideal tackle length. And he's a guy that simply is a liability in pass protection out there at right tackle. Troxel, I don't know if I'd go as far as call him a liability. I do not think he is an elite left tackle, an elite pass protector. He's better than Ham. But he's a guy that if we get Anderson, if we get Nolan Smith mashed up on him in one-on-one situations and we were able to scheme that up, which we've done a really good job of so far this season, I really like our chances against Troxel and Ham, but especially Ham. And the final matchup to watch here is Bo Nix versus our linebackers. I'm going to include inside linebackers and outside linebackers here. We And you can maybe even throw the interior defensive line here. Maybe you can say the Georgia front six, but we have got to contain Bo Nix in the pocket. Like I said earlier, 
Bo Nix is at his best when he's creating, when he's on the move, when he's extending plays, he's improvising. That is what Bo Nix does best, when it's backyard Bo Nix. We cannot allow backyard Bo to come out to play Saturday on the Plains. We just can't because that's when things can get scary. LSU defended them pretty well most of that game, but they let backyard Bo out to play and backyard Bo made some plays. That's what he does well. You have to keep him in the pocket, make him a pocket passer. Now, does that mean that we have to be more disciplined in rushing the passer? Does that mean that we can't twist and stunt as much as we've done throughout the first part of the season because we don't want to create those rush lanes that allow him to escape out of the pocket and kind of do some of that improvisation and stuff that he's really good at? Does that mean we have to do a little bit more of a mush rush and just, again, overall just be more disciplined coming after him? Do we have to mirror him? Because we have got some things that we can do defensively, some packages where we can do that with guys like Adam Anderson. I mean, really, we have multiple options that can mirror him. Any of our inside linebackers do it. They've all got that kind of athleticism. You can put Adam Anderson on him. You can put Nolan Smith at times. We can we can mix up who we're doing that with and make it tough for Bo Nix and for, for Mike Bobo to be able to, to kind of plan around that and know who it's going to be on any given snap. But we need to be much more disciplined in rushing the passer, staying in our rush lanes, not creating those lanes that allow him to escape and slide out of the pocket. Because if we do allow him to do that, that's where Bo Nix becomes dangerous. And he's in the pocket. Bo Nix is essentially impotent. He can't do anything in the pocket. That's not what this guy does. Outside the pocket, he becomes almost Superman. All right. We cannot let backyard Bo come out to play. It really is just that simple. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, moving into our next segment. We've got two schemes to dissect here, and let's start with the Auburn defense versus our offense. Now, you guys know if you listen to this podcast, I make it very clear. The goal of every defense is to force the opposing offense to play left-handed. That's the starting point for every single defensive game plan. Identify what the opposing offense does best, and then figure out a solution on how to not let them do that. Make them do what they don't do well to beat you. So if you're Auburn and you're game planning for our offense, what do we do best offensively? I think right now this is a very interesting question because I think, as I said earlier this week, we are talented enough to beat teams in different ways. As I explained, uh, I think maybe in the recap episode earlier this week, But after what we did to Arkansas and with the fact that Stetson Bennett is starting this game, well, I guess we don't know that for sure. But as far as I'm concerned, it's a strong likelihood that Stetson Bennett will be starting this game. And we still have injuries at wide receiver with Marcus Rosemey, Jack St. Arian Smith, probably not going to be clear for this game. Maybe there's an outside chance they can get cleared. I'm not holding my breath right now. So if you factor all that in here, I think that Auburn is going to force our wide receivers to win on the outside and force Stetson Bennett to beat them through the air, beat them with his arm. 
I think we will see a lot of what we have traditionally seen the past four or five years from defenses, at least to open the game. I think they're going to roll stages in the box. I think they're going to play with single high looks, that middle of the field close look, or they're going to throw some cover one at us. They're going to throw some cover three at us. And I think they're going to have to because I don't think they are good enough up front on their defensive line to stop our run game without bringing extra numbers in the box. I just don't think they're good enough to do it. If they can, if they can stop our run game with even numbers, stop rolling guys in the box, stop bringing guys like Smoke Monday down, then we're in trouble. We are in trouble. It's going to be tough to win this full game. But right now, watching them play throughout the season, I just don't think that they are good enough on the defensive line and that linebacker to do that. Derek Brown ain't walking through that door, guys. It's not happening. So I think that's what they're going to try to do to us. That's the first scheme here. I think they're going to play some cover three looks, some cover one looks. If you're not familiar with cover one, that's basically man under. Everybody's playing man except that one deep safety. Cover three, there's a variety of different ways you can play cover three, but you've got traditionally one deep safety. Your corners are, are dropping back playing deep thirds as well. And you got the safety rolling up. We can play the run. You can also play the flat as well. But what both cover one and cover three have in common is that they allow the defense to get a safety into the box, get more numbers there against a team that's trying to run the football and having success doing so. And that's nothing new to us, guys. That's what we face almost every single week, like really the past four or five years. After how we played against Arkansas with that physical run style and also the fact that it's likely to be Stetson Bennett at quarterback, we have a bunch of young receivers out wide who they're going to challenge and force them to prove that they can win one-on-one. I imagine that is how Auburn is going to come out and attack our offense. All right, so the second scheme here, if that's what Auburn is going to do, which is what I fully expect them to do, what do we do on offense to counteract that? What's the game plan? Now, again, as I said, I think we have the ability to beat teams in different ways. What we did against UAB, they were still not to stop the run. We hit a number of different explosive passing plays on them. Arkansas played us totally differently. They gave us a run game, and we were able to just pound the football on them and win that game going away. But although I think we have the ability to beat teams in different ways, and we have shown the ability to beat teams with a passing game if we need to, I think we have less of an ability to do that without JT, without guys like Arian Smith and Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint. But where I do have some comfort is the fact that we also have this guy named Todd Munkin. And all this guy does is just dial up plays. It's what the dude does. And on one hand, if you're Todd Munkin, I can see how you look at it and you say, all right, well, looks like we're probably gonna have Stetson Bennett at quarterback again this week at Auburn. He's never played in a road environment like this. Yeah, he played on the road a couple times last year, but they weren't full road environments. They weren't near as hostile as this place is going to be on Saturday afternoon. We've got a lot of young, yes, very talented, but a lot of young, inexperienced players at wide receiver and tight end who have not played in this kind of environment. Even a guy like Jermaine Burton. Like guys, I mean, I know Kyrus is kind of coming back right now. He's not playing a ton, so I guess you could say he's experienced. But, I mean, our most experienced receiver outside of him that's playing significant snaps is Jermaine Burton. And Jermaine Burton didn't see anything like that last year. There weren't full stadiums. He didn't see that last year. Darnell Washington didn't see that last year. Those are like the most experienced guys we have at the skill positions right now, at least at tight end and wide receiver. So yeah, all these guys are really talented. I think they can make plays, but they're young and they haven't seen an environment like this and you just don't know how they're going to react. 
And just the fact, as we said last week, more bad things can happen when you put the ball in the air as opposed to just turning around and handing the football off. And, oh yeah, again, we just had a lot of success pounding the football against Arkansas last week. Maybe we found some confidence there in the run game. So I see how on one hand you would say, oh yeah, like we just need to come out, pound the football, do what we did against Arkansas last week. It worked really well against them, so why is it going to work against Auburn? And I, I just don't know that's exactly how I see it. Now, I will say we cannot abandon the run. I do think that we can have success running right at this Auburn front six. I really do. And I also think Stetson's mobility can help us counteract the numbers that I believe Auburn will try to get near the line of scrimmage. We can do some zone read stuff, some bash stuff. And, when, and guys, when I say bash, uh, what that means is back away. So on the bash play, essentially, you guys have seen this. You just might not know the terminology, but you've seen this play. It's where the back is running backside sweep with the offensive line blocking front side for the quarterback if he chooses to pull it. And what it does, and James Cook had a big playoff this last week, what it does is like when the off, the, when the defensive linebackers, when they read the offensive line flowing one way, because a lot of times, now different teams do it differently, but a lot of times they're going to key the offensive line. And that's kind of their key to like where the football is going. So when they see the offensive linemen flowing to the right, they're going to take at least a step in that direction. And you have the running back running a sweep the opposite direction. You have space out there. Now, if the linebackers don't buy on that and they're reading the running back, well, then the quarterback can just pull it because he's reading right there and he just follows the offensive line and, and they're blocking for him there. So we've shown the ability to run that. We haven't really seen the quarterback pull it, but we've run that play. We saw Stetson open the game last week with a zone read. And Munkin has dialed up some really nasty RPOs. We haven't really seen the quarterback actually pull it and run with it yet. Now, traditionally, RPOs is like where you have your, you're going to either hand it to the running back or pull it and throw it to somebody. But he was actually setting up, if you watch it closely, setting up some runs for Stetson to actually pull it himself run the football with some RPOs. And I wouldn't be surprised to see that maybe a little bit more extensively against Auburn because I do think they're going to try to get numbers in the box early and often in a way that Arkansas did not. But at the end of the day, I do think Auburn is going to be keyed up to stop the run. I do think that's what they're going to come into this game doing. They're going to be coming into this game saying, We've got to stop the run. I fully expect aggressive run blitzes, a lot of bodies around the line of scrimmage, and aggressive triggering from the secondary against the run. I fully expect all of that stuff. So what do we need to do against those kind of looks, against that kind of scheme? I think, and I know a lot of you are going to kind of cringe when I say this. You're going to duck for cover when I say this. But I think we're going to need to have some faith in Stetson Bennett and have some faith in him to take some shots against man coverage. I think we're going to have some opportunities out there, guys. I really do. Those opportunities are going to be there. I mean, if you look back in Vanderbilt, I know JT's different. JT's not Stetson Bennett, but seven of the first 11 plays against Vanderbilt were pass plays. So we've shown the ability, if that's what they're giving us, to throw the football. And we've shown, Munkin's shown that he wants to throw the football. Munkin, guys, I mean, go back to the NFL. He knows how to throw to win. And I think we're going to have to have faith in Stetson Bennett to do that if indeed he's the starter we're gonna at some point we're gonna have to let him just let it fly and take advantage of what the defense gives us and again i think the auburn defense will open up giving us those things giving us looks those man looks those one-on-one -on -one looks on the outside and we're going to have to take those shots and take advantage of those plays and i think once we hit if hopefully hopefully if we hit a few of those plays we can turn to the ground game. Really, it's kind of just passing to set up the run if you want to put it that way. To me, that's the game plan to come out with against this Auburn defense based off how I think and how I expect them to play us in this matchup. 
And finally, that brings us to my one key to the game, the key to a Georgia victory. Now, guys, of course, there's all sorts of different things that matter in this game. We can't turn the ball over. We can't give up big plays. We can't have special team catastrophes like we had in Jordan-Hare. We had all of those back in 2017. All of those things are important. They are in every game, of course. But if we're looking at this from a schematic standpoint, I think the biggest key is can we win on the outside? That's what I was just talking about schematically with what I think we should do from a game plan perspective. I think that's the key. I think we have to win outside, whether that's A.D. Mitchell, whether that's Jermaine Burton, whether it's Brock Bowers, whether it's Darnell Washington. I think we have to have those skill guys, those tight ends, those wide receivers. I think we have to prove that we can beat man coverage and win one-on-one. Because both defenses, our defense, their defense, are going to be geared up to stop the run because that's, I mean, that's what Auburn does best. And that's traditionally what we've done best, even though I think this is a little bit of a different Georgia offense this year. So to me, whichever team, whichever offense makes more plays on the outside to complement their ground game and make the opposing defense pay is probably going to win the game. Now, of course, again, going back to turnovers, big plays, special teams, catastrophes, all those things matter as well. But I think whoever has enough playmakers on the outside, whoever makes enough plays on the outside offensively is going to have a leg up in this game. Personally, and I'll go into more detail on this on our picks episode when I give you my official pick for this game, I like our chances to be that team. Yes, we are young. Yes, those guys are going to be playing in the most hostile environment that they have seen to this point in their young careers. But I believe we are more talented at those positions, even without George Pickens, even if Arian Smith doesn't play, and I'll, that reduces our margin for error, but I think we are more talented. If you look at who Auburn has out wide, I mean, their top three wide receivers, Kobe Hudson, Shedrick Jackson, and Demetrius Robertson, we know D-Rob well. Kobe Hudson, I think, is the guy with the highest ceiling for them in that position. I think he's the freakiest athlete, but he hasn't been like overly productive. Shedrick Jackson hasn't been overly productive. D-Rob has 17 catches on the year for them. I think he's actually second in receptions for Auburn right now. But guys, think about this. D-Rob left Georgia because he was not going to see the playing field. He simply wasn't going to play. He didn't leave because he was a disgruntled player. He left for playing time. And those guys that were ahead of him are still ahead of him at Georgia. And he's gone to Auburn and he's now their second leading receiver in terms of receptions on the year. The guy that's second in receptions for Auburn couldn't make his way through the depth chart here in Athens. So yeah, I think it's fair to say that we're more talented. Now, they're at home. That matters. Our guys are young. They're inexperienced, and they're playing with a backup quarterback. That matters as well. But I do think we have more talent out there, more options out there to go out and make plays. And I also think, we're honestly, we're better in the secondary than Auburn is. So I just think that also has to factor in as well. So I think we're more equipped to make those plays. But I do ultimately think that's what this game is going to come down to. That key to the game is going to be which offense makes more plays on the outside with their receivers and tight ends. But all right, guys, that does it for me today here on the Glory UGA podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed this breakdown of the Deep South's oldest rivalry. Charlie and I will be back for one final episode to wrap up the week. We will have our picks of the week on Thursday. So make sure to tune back in for that. And that is where I will officially reveal my final prediction for this weird October matchup between the Dogs and the Tigers. But thanks again for listening, guys. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.